Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. No, oh. I oh. oh, God damn it, Jason. <laughs> Just go. We not we haven't even talked about prepping for the episode yet or anything. No, like I that. can take timestamps. I can take timestamps. Let's just. Oh yeah, let's yeah. Do it you're, live. You're, I'm sure you're going to do that. I hey, just keep tab away. About... Just tab away. You'll never know. Okay. It'll just feel like a conversation among friends, like it used to. Like it used to. Uh, here's a question. Before we, uh, so I was looking into the location that these lovely ladies are from. The name uh, is Harmony Corine, as I understand. I think it's Harmony Corin. Harmony. Yeah, Corrine. I know. I was, I was making. A, I was making a joke. A good joke, Jason. The, gr- the girls that you. Were, what were you saying? You're talking about the girls. It's Corine, actually. Harmony Corine. Interesting. Uh, what were you going to say before I cut you off with a really funny joke? Uh, so I was looking into where they were from uh, at the beginning of the film, and uh, several reviews, just specifically reviews, mentioned Kentucky. I do not believe there was a mention of Kentucky in the film, although I could be wrong. And I'm wondering not. if it's like a press thing or maybe there was an yeah. edited you know, version of this for reviewers. There's a chance because they visit a couple businesses and smash up that one diner. I feel like maybe somewhere in the movie there is like a light indication that they're in uh, Kentucky or yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, so, yeah. Maybe, maybe that. If you're going to, I don't know if you're going to leave this in the app, but at the very beginning I did my research. There is a shot of the Su Bong Che auditorium. Uh, which is an auditorium of a university uh, in Florida, uh, which is actually not far from St. Petersburg where they're, they're, you know, uh, uh, getting lit. Um, But however, they are not from Florida in the film. That is just due to the locate. They're actually filming, you know, kind of in the spring break kind of party scene area uh, because there is a line where someone talks to faith outside of the church group and says, who are you driving down to Florida? Who are you driving to Florida with? So I don't know. I'm going to assume there was some press thing or like some edit of this film that said Kentucky at some point. God, it would be so funny if they were from Florida, though. If it was like St. Petersburg was like 15 minutes away from their hometown. That would maybe ruin, I think, the point of the movie, that but that would be very funny. considerable amount of the point of the movie, yes, but it would be hilarious. And also, in some ways it would, and in some ways it would actually make the, the sort of Indian ephemeral hands. idea sure. of the spring break country even more sort of like they were always in the hell that they traveled to you know i well i was gonna go in the opposite direction but yeah exactly oh sure okay uh heaven is what you it's just like it's just it's an idea it's not a place yes that's exact state of mind baby uh st petersburg state of mind anyway jason what life's about that's what life's about is everybody good to go the funniest intro quotes ever huh uh, I got one. I, I got I, a pretty good one that I th- hope nobody else has. Should I? Yeah. Should, should we? Should we run through them? Should we? No. Let's 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 just disappoint each right other. Now, so yeah. yeah, let's just disappoint each other in the moment. I uh, yeah. starting with Woo-hoo! thank you <laughs> very much Speaking for listening. Dis- disappointing in the moment. <laughs> uh, 
to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema or at Trilon.org. Buy tickets there. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. I just sucked both y'all's dicks, and you can find me on Twitter Sorry. at Nintendoofus. <laughs> okay, that's better than mine. Good and strong. Yeah, very good. Oh, yummy. I'm Cody Narvison. I'm a fucking gangster with a heart of gold, and you can find me on Twitter at... Wow, uh, improper throat clearing. I and I know we're going to leave this in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore bh. This is quite a wild episode. Bikinis and big booties—that's what life is about. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I'm Aaron, and I'm jacked up for Jesus. And you can find me on Twitter uh, at RB. Please, Jason, are we throwing a content <laughs> warning on the beginning of this? One? Yes, there will okay, be a content gosh. warning at the top okay, of this episode yeah. because it's going to get real rowdy in here. Starting with uh, Aaron's summary, because I'm not even going to introduce this one. It's all you, baby. Yes, uh, Spring Breakers is the film we are talking about. 2012 film uh, directed by Harmony Corrine, uh, director of uh, Weird Art kind of indie film director of uh, Gummo, Trash Humpers, all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, this is his uh, 2012 kind of commercial breakthrough, I guess I would say, in a weird kind of way. Um, Brit, Candy, Cotty, and Faith are four girls, uh, four college girls, who would like to travel to Florida uh, for spring break. Uh, Ashley Benson uh, is Brit in this film. Vanessa Hudgens is Candy. Rachel Corrine is Cotty. And Selena Gomez is Faith. Um, yes, they all want to travel to spring break and party it up. Unfortunately, uh, after saving all of their money since the beginning of the year, they only have, uh, $325 exactly to their name. Uh, so what do they do? Uh, they go and decide to rob a restaurant, uh, with a hammer and a bunch of, uh, real looking squirt guns that they kind of have painted to look like real guns, you know? Uh, however, uh, you know, after doing that, they're able to finance their trip to St. Petersburg, Florida, where they party, uh, they drink and they do drugs for a while until they are eventually arrested for narcotics use. Uh, they're quickly bailed out jail by a white rapper slash drug dealer slash uh, arms dealer that goes by the name of Alien, played very true to life in this film by James Franco uh, in Florida and assisted by their new rapper friend. Uh, the four girls truly embody the spring break forever mindset. Uh, also, I think notable kind of the, the last kind of uh, major ish actor in this film is a uh, real life rapper, Gucci Mane, who plays Big Arch, who is a rapper and a hustler who competes with Alien. Um, the film, when it came out, was financially quite successful on release and made bit over, I think, $30 million on a $5 million budget. So relatively small budget, quite successful. Um, and I think was generally received okay, critically, some people better than others. I think some people taking uh, issues with some of the, the content of the film that we've already touched on a little bit. Uh, Jason, uh, you had not seen this film. What uh, do you think? I had not seen this film at all. It is all that I knew about it was because was that you were a pretty staunch defender of it. Um, and that you've given it four and a half and five stars on Letterboxd, which I'm really hoping you can put that in context for me, but um, it is hard for me to talk about this movie in the way that I talk about other movies, you know, in terms of like characters, motivations, plot, because um, it's all like you called weird art. It's all kind of like it feels all packaging. I mean, like at a mechanical level, it doesn't really work for me a lot of the time. Some scenes last a really long time and don't really go much of anywhere. Maybe that's part of the point. Um, the ones that are scripted aren't very well scripted. Uh, you know, it is the sort of dichotomy you came up with um, in how I was framing this in my head was it is at one level like Harley Quinn fanfic, which I'm not really qualified to 
to respond to. And it is at a deeper level. Um, it is about, I think you, you, you can see this through, um, the movie itself, but I have also seen between Aaron's readings of it and a couple other readings on Letterboxd and around the internet. It is at a deeper level, um, about race, race relations in the American South. Uh, and that's the thing I'm really not qualified to respond to. So, um, I'm trying to separate like the container from the contained. I'm not sure it's a clean break. I will say this movie for me was like cinematic ipecac. I, I sort of chose to put it in my body knowing how my body would react. And I did almost feel like physically upset by watching this movie. Um, I watched it alone at home and I had, uh, you know, that much of a reaction to it. I think, um, I, I really am at a bit of a loss of words for like where to start. So I'll let the rest of the group stick in. Um, I'm, Let's see. I go to Cody from here, but I, I will say uh, I'm glad that I watched it and I would recommend it. I cannot say that I thoroughly enjoyed the experience at a um, mental or physical level. Cody. Wow. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that handoff. Hi, uh, I'm Cody. This was my, I believe, my third time seeing Spring Breakers. Uh, the question I would ask myself with uh, with regards to this movie was always something like uh, after watching it is this a smart movie or not and this time around I don't I don't know if I find that to be the most relevant question for at least two reasons for me personally one I've come to accept that if like text or subtext is present whether accidental or not then I- I'm just the type of person who's willing to give the uh, the benefit of the doubt about it being there at all we had a I don't know a kicking that around my head, I I was thinking about a similar discussion that some of us had about that topic on our Black Christmas episode from a few winters ago. Um, So just context for me personally. But uh, I guess that gets into the second thing. And that's, I think the text is here. It's buried under a lot of shit, um, under a lot of like aimless sequences that feel like they should exist elsewhere as ambient music videos or something. But I, I think it's there. And so I guess my question now becomes, is this something I like or appreciate or both or neither. And I think currently I'm in a place where I can appreciate this more than I can say that I definitively like it. Um, my, my very, very base level takeaway is, you know, the idea of people transporting themselves to a new environment, being tempted with the opportunity for change and either resisting or succumbing to that temptation and dealing with the subsequent consequences as they pertain to the souls of these people who are involved is, is a means of framing. I can really get behind. Doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound like a cool movie or a cool story? Um, the ways in which like performance plays into these transformations makes for, uh, an engrossing motif and also fascinating are the glimpses into the sorts of rationalizations that people affected by those transformations make to themselves and others. I'm thinking specifically at the end. Um, I forget which character it is, but just saying stuff like, I just want to do better. That's just, you know, they're, they're kind of the thing they repeat as they're kind of coming into this or coming out of it, however you want to think of it. I just, I guess I don't necessarily love how all of it came together, this movie. I I can definitely recognize how you will uh, uh, inevitably talk about him, but getting a big name to play the character of Alien is important to how people perceive this story. Um, And I think that's the right idea, but Franco you know, understandably he's chewing on a lot of the scenery, scenery, but almost too much of it for my liking. The amount of over the topness just didn't quite land right for me, nor did the, the aforementioned aimlessness at, I don't know. Some of some of it hit me in a, a good way. Some of it didn't. This was just over 90 minutes long, but it felt a lot longer. Um, maybe that's just me, but I think the sort of meandering maybe played a role in that. And I guess one thing I Wait, felt was missing was... This, what? This movie was 90 minutes long? Wasn't it like 94, 95 minutes? Am, like I, am I crazy? 94, yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. That, yeah. You're right. It did feel a lot longer. It felt like two hours, 10. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I guess one thing I felt was missing was like, you know, the way in which they built up their spring break environment, seeing something similar to that in their college slash home environment, you know, having a more clear answer to the question of why do they feel stuck here versus why do they feel so liberated there? Um, I just felt like there was a kind of disconnect there. Um, and I would have personally liked to see more of that, but regardless, I came into this telling the fellas that I don't really like this movie, but I've got an open mind and I would love to be a fan of Spring Breakers, just like I would love to be a fan of pretty much any movie. Um, and I don't know if I'd necessarily call myself a fan of Spring Breakers yet, but I do feel like I've come around on it uh, somewhat. And I'm weirdly glad the Trilon decided to play this one in their current series. And I'm also glad because I think Harry has a plan for how we can gather enough money to afford Spring Break or maybe a, a Trial of Roadshow um, in the future. So I'll, I'll let him speak to that a little if he wants to, or he can just talk about Spring Breakers. I don't know. I find myself in a complicated position here uh, because on the one hand, Let's um, go. I never want to give Aaron any credit whatsoever. Um, obviously I find him unctuous. I find him obnoxious. Uh, he's sort of the heel of the podcast, if you will. And he's better than me at, uh, trivia, which continues to rankle me. Um, on the other hand, I'm spring breakers build Aaron. <laughs> so, uh, let's go. Um, yeah, I, I also had not seen this movie before. Um, I also watched it alone late last night. Um, I think it's a very good movie unfortunately, uh, maybe, um, I understand why it's not for everybody. Um, as Jason and Cody both noted, it does feel longer than its length. Um, it at times feels like a musical or not a musical, a music video rather. I mean, um, it uses this narrative technique constantly where it cuts in these sort of decontextualized interstitial scenes and sequences, um, that hop around in time, uh, in order to sort of illustrate an overall mood. For instance, the opening of the movie begins with this sort of like detached, uh, sort of like magical realist version of spring break where these sort of anonymous people who represent this idea are just having, um, this wild end of the world party. Um, most of the script I noticed takes place in voiceover, um, rather than uh, in person. And those voiceover sequences repeat often as if these characters are trying to remind themselves or something or keep tethered to something. Um, that was an effect that really worked for me. Um, as the sort of like music video interstitial cut-in scenes work for me as well. Um, unfortunately, I did say to Aaron about half an hour into this movie, it was like watching an anime opening. Um, that never really goes away. Um, it feels extremely unmoored from a narrative perspective. You never really feel like you're with these characters so much as you're watching something um, play out almost like a force playing out instead. Um, but yeah, and, and we'll get into it, but um, I, I actually found this to be like a really poignant, surprisingly poignant and uh, striking and terrifying depiction of the sort of like economic and spiritual anxiety undergridding the passage of white supremacy from majority in this country to minority um, and what the sort of like culture behind whiteness actually represents and the way that the anxieties beneath that become a protectionist aggression against anything who anyone who would even question or doubt or raise sort of a um, fear within yourself that the predominant narrative that you have always lived your life under may not be true. 
Um, and I think that extrapolating that out to the spring break mentality that they capture here is something really, um, really brilliant in a lot of ways. The, the way that the characters talk about spring break is this chance to find themselves and this, um, this thing that, that makes it so that it feels like the world is never going to end and they're always going to be themselves and they're always going to be the people they want to be and they'll always have that chance. And what that is all sort of um, uh, founded on and what it is all contingent upon and what it comes to be obviously contingent upon in this movie are all really important. And I think that it is absolutely textual. I mean, this movie opens with a... Uh, lecture on reconstruction um, in America. And Alien is a character who is so self-consciously white that he keeps bringing it up. He has this rivalry with a black guy. At the end of the movie, the white girls kill black people. Um, so I, I think it, I think it's all very textual. I think we can talk about it. I'm with Cody that it doesn't actually matter if it's textual. Uh, it just matters the effect that it had. And it had a profound effect on me, I guess, um, to the point where I even, I find myself forgiving a lot of the sort of plot indulgences. The one thing that really bothers me about this movie is the fact that uh, his wife, Rachel Corinne, uh, or Corrine, um, plays a character in it, uh, and she is like the most objectified. Um, there's sort of a weird dialectic here about uh, whether this movie is objectifying to women or whether it's empowering. I don't really think it's either. I think that this is a movie that's interested in race more than gender, ironically, maybe. Um, but that's an interesting thing to think about. I think that it's it's also a movie that's really interested in the complicity of white women in white supremacy and how gender operates within a white supremacist uh, framework, which is really interesting. So we can talk about and unpack that too. Um, but I guess I should say finally that like, it just, it, it like, it reminded me a lot of, of movies that have also gotten sort of like a bad rap just in the sense that they're sort of like maybe overlooked. And I'm really self-conscious about the idea that like, liking or disliking this movie has become like this very weird sort of like um, flag to plant where it like, it becomes more about your sort of like internet persona identity than your actual. Okay, like, but well, no, I'm not he's turning I'm, against me or it's 17 minutes into the pot. He's turning against me. Well, no, what I'm saying is that, exa- that hey, I'm actually like a hundred percent on your side because like, I think it's really easy to be dismissive of movies like this because of the fan base, right? Like I, in, in part, because it like, it's become this symbolic thing, but it, it reminded me a lot of like, uh, only God forgives, which is also a movie that is like really smart about whiteness. I think that was roundly dismissed because of the director and because of the sort of like sliminess of it. Um, it reminds me a lot of blue velvet, to be honest. Um, I think that this is like a, it's charts a very similar arc for white people that blue velvet does in a really interesting way. Um, and it reminds me of, uh, of movies like that, you know, and I, I say movies like that because I had a third movie I was thinking of that I forgot as I was speaking just now. Um, but I've gone on long enough and I want to hear Aaron bring in his, uh, his big takes on this Aaron. So (laughs) we're going to go to Florida and you're going to show me what life is all about right now. Uh, uh, has there been, I was not expecting, uh, for each of us to, to roll the die, go the number of spaces, collect our coins. And then the, the, two V two Mario party minigame that pops up. Harry and I are on the same team versus Jason. I'm not sure that's ever happened before on this podcast. It definitely hasn't. Um, I'm ready though. Uh, Cody, are you ready? Harry, we just got to beat the shit up. We just got to physically fight I mean... these, these two people. It's gonna uh, we we are yes we are playing hand car havoc now that's the the mini game um no but I'm gonna uh, beat your ass 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, in Mario Party, you probably would. But um, I, I don't. This is a collaborative podcast, and I hope that I will be able to bring out some greater appreciation of this film. Uh, as Jason mentioned, and I think everybody's kind of hinted at, this is like one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm not sure it's like a top ten movie, but if you were to name a number that's maybe marginally higher than ten, I think there's a, a pretty good chance um, it would it would be on that list. Um, I think the first time that I saw it was I think when it first came out, I think maybe in theaters, it would have been during college, 23, during college. Um, I think I liked it then. Um, I was generally aware, just dude, I think like internet chatter, um, that it was a, a bit more of a, a subversive movie, um, or at least a different movie than the marketing at the time kind of had made it look like, right? Uh, this movie was, and you can see from the the box office earnings and, and comparing that to like the uh, you know, audience member score on like Rotten Tomatoes, like a lot of audience members didn't like this movie. Um, and they went in thinking it was going to be like Disney stars get naughty. Look at James Franco uh, being a, a white rapper, like stereotype. Um, and it kind of is that to a certain extent, but it is also this kind of movie that does feel longer than it is and feels like kind of a weird Terrence Malick thing mixed wow, up that's with a really like, good comparison actually <laughs> uh, so yeah Har- harmony Corrine like loves terrence malick as top 10 films i think there's like two or three malick films on it and you can like kind of see it there's like the very much like a lot of voiceover with like what usually would be like beautiful imagery but it's it's you know people you just called this uh, days of heaven off of <laughs> he could have caused this days of heaven yes um so but this this kind of long wind up is to say that that i don't think this movie fits kind of the wild impression that it was purposefully going for in the marketing marketing i think a lot of people like to say that that was an artistic choice to try and subvert expectations i think that was maybe a financial choice to get it to 30 million dollars at the box office off a five million dollar budget um but regardless i do think that this movie kind of works um i I, one thing that I've, i've kind of struggled with as i've watched it more and more and more um is the question of like how obvious this movie is um as someone who's seen this movie i think four times now um this movie feels like very obvious to the point where I'm like, problem, right? Ironically, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you can keep, I'm going to talk about it in a bit. So if you want to, if you got anything to, otherwise I'll just, uh, I I found that very ironic, right? Because like, I think that this movie is very misunderstood, which is kind of wild because like, to me, it felt like if anything, the thing I would, I would, um, call it out for is like a lot of the dialogue in particular is like extremely on the nose or voiceover work. Yeah. With, this is a a movie where the, the religious character's name is faith, right? (laughs) Yes. Like, Like, okay guys. Yeah. Um, Yes, the 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 white uh, the white rapper who is kind of uh, stepping on his his black like older uh, guys yeah, you know, rapper's turf is named Alien. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I've shown this movie to people and they genuinely don't like it, and often they say something like, "Oh, I get something else was going on here," but I, I I'm not really into it. Um, and I I think it's just kind of like a a thing where like I think watching this movie, especially the first time, like you do get caught up in like just the in your face aspects of it and things that are I think legitimately very obvious maybe become not as obvious just due to everything else going on around it um I mean uh, you know Harry Harry talked about it earlier but there's the there's literally a, a lecture um where uh, at the beginning of the film where uh, you know the professor is talking um and he's talking specifically about the second reconstruction which is the the civil rights era but he's talking about you know uh, like black um uh you know ser- servicemen 
from World War II coming home, feeling like they deserve something from the government and then kind of not giving it and that leading to the civil rights movement, right? There's a, a shot at the end where the, the women, James Franco gets popped in the head and the, the two remaining spring breakers are walking and they're, they're pink, like ski mask hoods have turned white under like the neon, right? It's like, if you see a <laughs> screenshot of it, you're like, ah, oh, shit, yeah, that's very obvious. Um, but apparently maybe it's not, right? Because there's they're also two girls in bikinis shooting up a mansion and you're thinking about other stuff, right? Um, there's Faith. I mean, literally like the most, she's, she's talking to her grandmother saying that she wants to come with her next year to spring break here. And it, she feels like alive here. And the, the images on screen are literally her friends doing Coke off of some girl's boobs. You know, it's like, this is not a subtle film. Right. Um, and I think the thing that I've come up with is that I feel like this is like genuinely um, a transgressive film, uh, very transgressive in, in an era where there, there really aren't many films that are doing that. Um, and so I understand why people might not like it. Uh, and I don't want to hide behind like people don't get it because I do think that there are there's a lot of stuff in this film to not like. Um, and I don't think that it's wrong for somebody to to not like it um, as well. Uh, also, you know, Harry brought up the question of objectification versus empowerment. A lot of people, especially on release, called it kind of like an empowering film. I don't think it's that. I think it's it's pretty critical of those aspects. I think it is maybe an objectifying film, um, maybe purposefully, but maybe that doesn't matter. Uh, we can maybe talk about that. I think the last thing that I've mentioned, and I've been rambling, um, is that this is, as I mentioned with all the other Florida noir films, uh, a good film in the Trilon series of Florida noir films. This is probably the least noir of those films, um, but I do think it kind of weirdly fits in here. Um you know, I, I mentioned this, I think, with Night Moves, but this idea of, and Key Largo too, uh, this idea of Florida is a place that outside forces come to kind of act upon and to get what they want out of Florida and then try and leave, right? Um, you know, people, there was like a letterboxed review that I wish I could remember from Key Largo that was mentioning how like Florida that film felt. And they said that like one of the most like important things was how everybody causing shit in that movie was not actually from Florida, um, which is like such like a, a very Florida trait as somebody who had like some family members from down there. Um, and just like, like the idea of, of Florida, this kind of pur purgatory, right? It's like this Hotel California ass uh, place where like, hey, you can check out anytime you like, but you you can never leave here, right? Um, unless you like very luckily get away at the beginning of the film. So I love this movie. I've been rambling. Uh, I, I hope I will manage to convince uh, my two friends here to appreciate it a little more. But like, I also get why it's a, a hard film to do that with, I think. Yeah. Uh, well said, Aaron. I, I was interested. I raised my little hand after you said that the reason people don't like this movie is it's a transgressive movie, not because I disagree, but because I feel like the people who dislike this movie are the people who are most sort of like equipped to understand and enjoy its messaging. Because like one of the big things that would make this movie really upsetting to people is the idea that it is essentially like very directly confronting the idea that the things that you want to do with your life, like in the things that you enjoy, uh, the things that make you feel alive are all rooted in a narrative of white supremacy, right? Like it's, it's basically saying that the whole like spring break idea of like going to, and then like basically colonizing Florida, uh, in order to make it your sort of like personal paradise is actually in effect reproducing the conditions under which like white supremacist entitlement, uh, um, was, was, 
possible, right? Like it's this idea that that these women feel they deserve this and that it is their birthright and that that place belongs to them and that they have this like underlying like reactive aggression to anyone who would suggest otherwise that becomes the sort of like very tool that they require in order to see their um their vision to through to fruition. And so like this is very literally a movie about like white women go to the self in order to come of age and learn who they are. And what they learn about themselves is that they exist to steal from and undermine and oppress the uh, minorities in their country, right? Like they, they become a part of a much grander narrative that has been playing out for uh, centuries in this country. And in doing so, they grow to maturity. And like, that is a very subversive message, I think, because it's saying like, hey, this like fundamental and genuinely, generally pretty positively portrayed um, idea of America uh, in, in like the spring break mentality, sure, but like more broadly, the sort of like the the self-expression of uh, specifically women and like the the course of like women toward maturity, the way it works in America actually is uncomfortably like rooted in like a, a white supremacist narrative, right? And I think particularly the intersection of like the female experience and the way that the female experience is also complicit in that same narrative and growth arc makes it very transgressive. But like the reason Jason and Cody don't like this movie is not because it shits on spring break. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like, like Jason the, had a great time in Cancun actually, and has, has been oh, upset yeah. for years that I uh, can't relive that. His yeah. I, years. I, I would tell you all about it. If I could remember it. Oh, yeah. what I'm saying is that, is that like, like, I don't know, man. I, I I don't think that there are like there are people who are who are big bros who are angry with this movie because it's like, oh, I'm not a white supremacist just because I have spent my life uh, feeling entitled to things that uh, I don't really have any material reason to feel entitled to. You know what I mean? It's like that's not why people dislike this movie. They dislike it because it's loud and obnoxious, and maybe they don't yes. think it's the point across, which is like you know fair. But I don't know. The the people defending this movie are, are not the you know it's not the guy jacking off the 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 beer bottle at the beginning of the film right like that's not but at the same time I don't think the there, there's a there's a uh, Jason please put a content warning but there's a an article from when the film first came out uh, that was titled something very similar to like uh, Spring Breakers is a film about rape culture uh, and it was very critical of the film um, and was was essentially saying like. Hey, and it's it's kind of to your point about the, the the people who often don't like this film are often the people that that might actually agree with its message. Um, and it's you know it was a, a female writer um, writing about how you know the, the, there's a lot of objectionable shit in this movie, right? Uh, she she mentioned specifically the scene where uh, I believe it's. Oh, uh, it's either Ashley Benson or Vanessa Hudgens character um, is actually, I think it's Rachel Corrine's character is, is, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, interacting with this, this guy at a party right before they get that's, arrested. It's like by far the most risque scene. Right. And the fact yes. that, it's, that it is, it is very much uh, Rachel Corrine, who is the director's wife, which also makes it like really, really weird in my mind, but like, that's okay. Go on. Yeah. I'm, Maybe I I've always kind of found that I don't know I mean I, I, I guess I don't know the relationship. It's necessary, and I think it's a good scene. So I'm I think I'm maybe with you, but 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 
you know, she, she she's essentially writing about how like, hey, girls who are going to, you know, spring break or to do things like you don't have to do this. Like there's all sorts of other and she lists like there are people who do like volunteering opportunities over spring break. There are people who do this kind of stuff that that's like not drugs and sex and partying. And like, you know, this film puts out a bad image. And like on one hand, you know, you do want to say like, oh, well, that, you know, the, these scenes are, are very critical of the, this kind of attitude and this kind of partying culture. Um, and it maybe doesn't hate these characters. But it, it's very curious about them, but it is, I think, in the end, critical. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I think part of creating a uh, uh, I don't know, art in general, whether it's music or whatever, uh, that is, I'm sorry to keep saying this word because it's a bit pretentious, but like truly transgressive or like offensive on some level is that I think you do just kind of have to put up with that. Like you are always going to get people that are are purely uh, uh, put off by the aesthetics of the thing um, that you are creating. And I don't even necessarily think that's a wrong, um, that's like a wrong opinion to have. And in fact, I, I kind of dislike the people who are dishonest about it, uh, who say like, oh, I don't know why people are offended by this thing. And it's like, well, the, the point is to be offensive to a, a certain degree, um, maybe not as much spring breakers as some other kind of transgressive art. Um, but I, I do mean, think this that this film is dabbling with this. Right? Yeah. And th- this film opens with a dubstep song and, and on the beat drops, there are boobs jiggling and beer being poured over naked, uh, poured over naked bodies. Uh, there's a Freudian slip there. Uh, so like it, it is very clearly like attempting at that or like, or like, you know, motioning towards that or even doing that. And so I, I don't really, I think it's totally fair if somebody says like this film is kind of smut, you know, I, I, I don't I'm not horrified by that opinion. Yeah, um, I have a lot of thoughts out of what you and uh, Harry just got into. Um, I will make sure that Cody doesn't have any thoughts here before I, I pivot, though. No, go crazy. Sure. Um, so first, I want to make sure, like, Harry, you said the, you know, the white women go to Florida to, like, find themselves. They end up, um, you know, actualizing into these pictures of white supremacy, literally murdering black people in their home uh, for, you know, what end up being ultimately minor transgressions, if any. Um, they have no reason. They, they have no run. They're just driven by, you know, and that's my question is, like, I out of harmony, excuse me, out of uh, Rachel Corinne's character, Cotty and, um, and out of faith, I see motivation. Like there is that, like at least faith has voiceover where she says that she, you know, wants to get out of here. She wants to see new places. She wants to find herself and who she's supposed to be. She's looking outside of religion for that. Um, and Cotty seems to be there just to have a good time. I think this is where the scene that you're referring to, the most risque scene in the movie, where uh, Rachel Corinne is, you know, openly engaging in various sex acts with a with a young man in their hotel room, um, and then eventually, like, even her desire to just have a good time runs out with, you know, when she's end up, when she ends up catching a straight bullet in the arm. So that is her out. That is Faith and Cotty's motivations for being there gone. I don't think that I saw, at least in the movie, I don't think I saw Brit and Candy, that is Ashley Benson and Vanessa Hudgens. I don't know that I saw like a particular motivation. I didn't see them being driven by much. Um, I saw them unmoored, kind of like the plot itself, uh, until they, of course, crash into Alien and they have, you know, they find that the life they want to live, the life that they're, you know, sort of there for, the, the ride they're on is parallel and in harmony with Alien's lifestyle of, you know, living on the edge, uh, that kind of, that kind of, I don't know if, am, am I on any sort of right track? Because I just feel like there's something maybe that I either didn't see or, you know, context that I don't have that is giving to these characters, like a motivation that I just wasn't seeing. 
Uh, can, should I respond to that? You guys have your hands up. Um, it, I, yeah, you're the one I have a direct response to that. Yeah, go for it. I, well, but go ahead, Aaron. Sure, I'll, I'll try and be quick here. I, I will say that I do, if there is one aspect of the film that I, I do think is actually kind of subtle, I do think it is the differentiation between those characters. Uh, so yeah. Even from the beginning of the film, um, I think that, that Faith is... I, honestly, I didn't get this at all on my first watch. And like this was, I think, the thing that stood out the most on this watch is even from the beginning, how much uh, these these characters are kind of separated from each other. Uh, specifically, I you know, I do think that um, Benson and Hudgens characters are supposed to kind of be a unit together. Uh, they are supposed yeah. to be the two that like push through this. Well, right. Who really well, yeah, like, like, want this. Like the, the church uh, group organizer says that she's like, oh, they're, you know, straight from hell or whatever. Like, I think yes. it sets those up pretty well. I just I wasn't seeing beyond the fact that they're a unit. Um, so, so they so they, they definitely treat, uh, uh, Selena Gomez's character faith quite a bit differently. Um, and I think that she is also separated due to the, um, due to the, just the, the kind of plot of the film. Right. I mean, she's the first to go. She has the church group, right? I think someone like Cotty, uh, uh Rachel Corrine's character is a, a bit more subtle, but I, I do think, and this ultimately comes down to just like, Hey, go watch clips or whatever. But like, she honestly, the the acting specifically in the the first parts of this film, even the scenes when they're um, sitting in dorm rooms together or just like smoking weed and hanging out, um, she is always someone that is is uh, you know, Brit and Candy are two characters that are always kind of um, initiating the things that are happening. They are always jumping on every opportunity and scheming in that manner. Um, Cotty is. She she goes along with it, and and the reason she is the, the second one to go instead of the first is because she does buy into it more than Faith does. But even from the beginning, if you watch her body language, um, where she's sitting in in respect to other characters, um, she's like very subtly uh, kept at an arm's length from them, uh, which is why after okay. she gets shot, she she is kind of the one because um, she 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 just she just doesn't have what it takes uh, to to really succeed in America. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, here you go for it. I mean, what I would say about their motivation, and I think that's that's well said, Aaron. I don't I don't know if this is actually textual or not, but I also like I I saw maybe just because of the way they were acting, but I saw Rachel Corinne's character and Selena Gomez's character as younger. It like very much felt like they were the like younger co-eds that were being brought along to this thing by like their their senpais, if you will. <clears throat> um but uh, what I would say there, the the um, motivation of really all of these characters, but particularly Vanessa Hudgen and um, Ashley Benson's character, is it's like this this incredible desperate entitlement. Um, I don't think that Faith was wrong when she was she was depicting. Um, what what she says she wanted from Spring Break about all of their characters' motivations. I think there's a really great irony where the two characters who are maybe the most, um, where uh, Selena Gomez's characterization is most apt, um, make fun of her for it. But she's she has that scene where she talks about how she wishes she could freeze time, how she wishes she could experience one moment forever. There's a very like, and I, I thought of the movie, which is, it's a wild movie to bring up now, but uh, it's it's very, his motorbike, her island-esque idea of like this death drive toward being an idea rather than a person, just being able to embody this feeling forever rather than having to deal with the complications and the frustrations and compromises that come along with being a human being. I think that these characters are characters who are 
openly and terribly resentful of the idea that they have to contend with those things because they believe that it is their birthright to instead feel the way that they feel all of the time. And so they have this underlying definitive anger and anguish toward these people who in their mind are forcing them to reconcile with the fact that they were not born to have this uncomplicated existence. And so they become hateful of the very people that they are oppressing because the fact that they are oppressing them means that they are an oppressive figure. It means that they are like that their lives are contingent upon this much more complicated thing rather than just being this, this party that's never going to end that never has any complications. And so like, I guess that, that was my read of it is that like these are characters who feel entitled to the spring break mentality idea uh, and all that it represents to the point that they are hateful of and angry toward anyone who would question or deprive them of that and they resent their own lives and they resent everything that is not that right like they resent school they resent their parents um, and in the end they have to get this, I mean, they don't get it out of their system, right? Like that's the, the irony of the last scene, but like ultimately they, they quote unquote actualize when they realize what they actually want and how they can actually achieve it, uh, in their minds. Indubitably. Um, I guess <laughs> I don't even know what I'm circling back to anymore, but I, I think along the way I'll, I'll, I don't know, this will be an exercise for me and, and maybe for the rest of us to, I don't know make sense. Of, I'm trying to make sense of uh, kind of what we've been doing this whole time, like make sense of what we all see in this movie or maybe don't see. And like historically what people have seen in heaven or what, ha- what they've had, what they have seen and haven't seen. And I thought about um, Harry, like uh, I'm, uh, many hours ago at this point, I, you brought up that one scene in the, like the lecture hall with the, it's one of the first scenes in the movie. We're starting out with like a college lecture on like civil rights and race, race relations. And even me, a big dummy having seen this movie twice and like probably not taking the things from this movie that I should have at the time. I was like, Oh yeah. Like I will see them more actively lean into this. This will be like a thing to like grapple with. And it is, but it's like we said, this movie is very on the nose, but it it circles back to things in, in maybe more unconventional ways than people uh, like movie viewers are used to even me again after having seen this movie a couple times already like alien for like embodies uh, appropriation and problematic whiteness uh in all the ways that we would maybe want to for this kind of text but it's buried under the fucking monster james franco being the worst hip-hop artist of all time and whispering the same line 50 times into the microphone um, or, you know, the speaker, however you're listening to this. It's probably, it's also buried under entitled women in bikinis and dubstep music videos. Like, I think these are effective pointed facades, right? It's just this different, this movie and and Harmony Kareen are, are probably, you know, they're challenging you to engage with this text in a different way way than maybe even now like almost a decade later than people might be prepared for and like that i might be prepared for and i guess to maybe respond more directly to the criteria that i think it was harry that laid out like i think this movie does get its point across but for my sensibilities it is a little bit loud it is a little bit obnoxious um maybe a little bit sloppy too like we've already talked about nicholas winning revan movies a little bit uh on this on this episode um i think only god forgives specifically but like the like slow-mo and lens flares and blues and oranges in this movie are like 
again, pointedly overkill, but even for me, I'm like, kind of like, Ooh, yikes. This is, uh, this is, this is a lot for my, for my meager brain. So yeah, I don't know. That was an exercise more for me, but, um, everybody's hand is up. So maybe that was a good avenue. Jason, go. We're just typing you up, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I want to, everybody keeps bringing up how obvious this movie is and it really is. I think that maybe more than just a casual aside, um, how on the nose this movie is like, I think that might be key to what it was getting me and not getting me about this movie. Like that's why it's frustrating. I think is that it like, it wants me to sit through James Franco menacing at a piano by the pool, singing a a nothing song about his best friend. Um, you know, when he was the only white kid in high school and this is all, you know, backstory we've built up and stuff. It wants me to do that to get a very obvious commentary about cultural colonialism in Florida in 2012. And, you know, he's already wearing cornrows and a grill and rapping in on the beach in Florida about, you know, party lifestyles. He's doing a lot already that wears that pretty baldly. And I don't know that it makes it more effective uh, that like, it makes me sit through those three and four minute scenes of just the same thing happening. I don't know if I don't know if I'm laying it on too thick, but like, it feels like the movie was laying it on really thick at times. It's like, is it doing this because it wants me to grasp something more through that ether? Or is this thing that I already have in my hands, the whole thing. And I can sort of go along for the ride. Um, I honestly don't remember whose hand up was, was up next. So uh, take it away. <laughs> I'll just really quickly. Uh, so it, it is a bummer that uh, James Franco is in this film. I think he, he does give a good performance, but like just kind of, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier, I think during uh, uh, my summary, but like, the the scenes of him like talking to faith and like trying to convince her to like stay uh in oh, Florida yeah. are like legitimately feel really slimy now that you're like oh james franco is like a, a, a slimy guy uh and this has has like a weirdly uh different uh feeling to it uh now uh but i will uh, james fuck james franco whatever uh i will defend the the uh directorial i think choice to have james franco doing what he's doing uh and then i will say it feels very obvious and in your face um but james franco that shit is uh totally true um he he is specifically based on and if you read interviews they kind of lie about it because they don't want to get sued and actually this guy did threaten to sue uh but this is he's just straight up the rap uh, the rapper riffraff um who at this time was getting more popular uh was kind of on a wave of uh, uh, white rappers who were kind of getting more and more popular, uh, some who were more kind of appropriative than other ones. I mean, I like a lot of these rappers, um, but but people not just like Rip Raff, Riff Raff, sorry, uh, but but Action Bronson at the time was getting more popular. Uh, Yellow Wolf was getting more popular. Um, there, uh, Mac Miller uh, at the time as well. Um, a lot of white rappers who were kind of becoming more popular uh, uh, in hip hop. Um, some of them were doing so in, I think, a bit more of a respectable manner. Some of them maybe not as much. I think Riff Raff is maybe one of the ones that maybe not as much. Uh, not a Florida rapper, but he was, a, a, I believe, Houston, Austin, Texas. Um, and it, it, literally, if you... Litigious. Sorry, what's that? I said, careful, Aaron. He's very litigious. <laughs> uh he well so he's he's not actually because he so if you google riffraff you're gonna say oh yeah this is this is riffraff like just right now google riffraff you'll go oh okay i i i see what they're going for um he he is a real ass dude who is is 
just James Franco's character. Uh, so much so that he did um, he did threaten to sue. And actually, he said that he was suing uh, uh, the, everybody involved in this film for, I think, $10 million uh, for taking his, I believe, his likeness and his, his life or like using his life story. Um, and, uh, he never actually filed paperwork, so he was just kind of bullshitting about it. Um, but he was very pissed, uh, when the film came out and, uh, James Franco was doing his thing, uh, which is just to say that it is in your face because Riff Raff is in your face and this character is in your face. Um, but it is, I think, authentic, uh, that doesn't excuse if you, you watch it and you're like, okay, everything is in your face in this film. And I, I don't like that. Uh, it doesn't excuse that, but like really not exaggerated, uh, at all, uh, uh, not just with Riff Raff, but also a lot of um, kind of local Florida rappers are just that dude, um, unfortunately, I guess. Um, I guess I, I have two defenses, and I, I agree with like the fact that James Franco is in this makes it a little bit hit a little too close to home, particularly like Aaron noted, that scene with Faith is really rough. Um, but I guess I, I would say that that the the first thing is that like I think that despite this movie being very in your face, it is making a series of associations that are not incredibly intuitive in the regular sense because they are not sort of intuitively noted in our culture. Like I think that it takes a while to establish the connection straight from like like spring break to cultural appropriation to the sort of like broader cultural appropriation as culture to the sort of like underlying mentality that, that um, drives that culture of cultural appropriation as culture to the sort of uh, final destination of entitlement and coming into entitlement as sort of your birthright. Um, so that's, I guess my first argument is that I think that despite the fact that it's very in your face and very loud, it's like, it's making its way towards something that is important. And that I think it pulls off to be honest, uh, through the characters and alien. And that that's my second argument is that like alien is not the main character of this movie, right? Like he is the sort of like mentor Pied Piper, like uh, Colonel Kurtz type character who is leading these characters into darkness. And I actually think that they do a really interesting thing with, um, with his character in the sense that like, I kept thinking about the way that white supremacy often weaponizes women by making them uh, objects of protection. Um, like we have to protect our white women is, is a, like a rallying cry within like uh, white supremacist circles. And oftentimes it's, I mean, it's, it's tremendously demeaning to women themselves, right? Because it fundamentally makes them objects of um, objects to be protected and objects to be controlled and uh, collected. But um, oftentimes the, the worst anger and um, violence that is uh, perpetuated by um, white supremacist movements in America is sort of like it is fomented on and it is quote unquote justified by this protection of white women. Um, and I think that like, this is a movie that is, um, like it, it subverts the idea or it inverts the idea of alien bringing these characters into the darkness, quote unquote. And I'm, you know, even heart of darkness talks about this a little bit or doesn't, but like even saying darkness is, is a loaded term. Right. But like, um, because it's ultimately about how they give him the justification that he needs to quote unquote, come of age and try to kill his best friend. Right. Like the fact that, that they shoot at his girls, and the fact that um, they are now in danger is what makes him become less of a quote unquote chicken shit and actually 
take this final step toward uh, killing these black people. Um, and so like there is there's an interesting sort of like inversion of power because generally we typically um, think of, of men using women as an excuse. Here it's, it's women uh, like positioning men to have the excuse, right? Like they are, they are people that like force him to sort of quote unquote man up and they weaponize their own sexuality and their own gender in that way, which is why like it's an interesting sort of um, commentary on gender and on the role that gender plays within white supremacy. Right. Um, So I, I think that it does that. And I think alien is a really important aspect of that, I guess. You heard it here first, Alien, cinema's premiere Manic Pixie Dream Boy. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I, I had nothing constructive to add other than when Jason was talking about uh, Alien singing a nothing song on the piano. I thought he was besmirching uh, Every Time by Britney Spears, which uh, best best scene in the movie, in my humble opinion, but I wanted to... That, that and the look at my shit all. scenes so. are the ones that are, that people generally yes. come back to as, like, the, the bangers, you know what I mean? Yes. I almost said I'm like the fucking Death Star out here for my um, quote. LOL. There are worse quotes you could have chosen. Um, then I, I guess I've got another question that's maybe more specific, but hopefully we can balloon that into something else in the last few minutes we've got here. Um, so let's see. Uh, it seems like it's very intentional to me that Candy and Brit, and we've already discussed this sort of, um, the two re- real like hellions of the group, or at least they're shown to be, are the two who stay um, in this sort of death spiral with Alien the Longest, all the way to the end of the line, basically. Um, they don't change in meaningful ways, except to intensify, I think, their attachment to Alien and like their uh, uh, coincidence with his with his whole you know deal with his lifestyle with his with his uh, power plays, etc. Um, I thought for sure, you know, at the outset that Faith was going to be dragged into the worst of it since she was like seen positioned as the most one of the most innocent. You know, the, we meet her uh, essentially. We meet her. The movie's a little bit out of chronology, but essentially, we meet her at a church group singing Kumbaya practically. Um, I thought she was going to be dragged into the worst of it, tested the hardest, that kind of thing. But um, it got me thinking, like, what do you think? And Aaron, since you seem to have like a good idea of how you feel about this movie, what do you think about when and how the movie chooses to give those other characters an off ramp? Uh, it seems like Faith and um, Cotty have you know pretty distinct endpoints to their when journey. Does it give Faith and Cotty the off ramp. Yeah, yeah, because well, the other two really don't, question, they don't get off. Um, so, like, yeah, go for it. Well, so so faith specifically. I mean, this is so one of the the criticisms that I, I kind of saw looking around this movie, uh, even from people who kind of acknowledged uh, that the, okay, the the film opens with this the speech about uh, the civil rights movement, uh, and then it ends with this kind of birth of a nation ash ass uh, of kind of you know uh, uh, display of violence. Um, but like, oh, where's the the racial stuff midway through the movie, right? Why Gucci Mane shows up and then all of a sudden there's this aspect of this film. And even if you kind of take it, um, you know, even if you take the absence of or the general absence of people of color from the early parts of the film, because there are a few uh, people of color in the the kind of montage sequences at the beginning of the film, but that is, it is mostly um, white people, right? Um, but I do think that there is, as you know, I think Faith specifically is a character who... Um, is uh, uh, very put off by the people of color uh, at the the party that she goes to, right? Um, it, it's 
it's not a coincidence that like the first party that she goes to where there are black people, uh, or at least a lot of them, and they're partying, they're having fun, they're playing billiards, uh, all of a sudden she feels uncomfortable, right? And this isn't what she came to uh, spring break for. This isn't what she came to Florida saying, for. I don't know right? these people. Yeah, like, oh, like she, and which is, is so funny, like juxtaposed uh, against the um, the lines earlier. She's talking to her grandmother on the phone. She's like, we made so many friends here, so many nice yeah. people. And it's they're having rotten. no meaningful interactions with these people. With like, if, if you're vacationing and you're partying, yes, of course, you're, you're probably not going to make a friend for life. I think there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Go back um, and listen but- to our episode about Mr. Hulo's holiday to find out the answer to that one. That's for, well, you yeah, and you can come every year and have your basically. That's, that's what she wants. she wants to have the Mister Hulo's holiday, uh, where oh she just comes God. back every year and it's like a warm blanket wrapping over you, and she finds herself in a spiritual manner. That's right, a, we're Jason. That is a good ass point you just brought up, man. Movie. She wants to be around people who are of the exact same uh, race and socioeconomic status as she is. Or, or even not, I mean, probably race. I mean, the the, the film is, is uh, you know, uh, not clear about her race. Uh, you know, Selena Gomez uh, is, is the person, right. of course, we know. Um, but but she does. Yes, she feels she feels uncomfortable around groups that are not predominantly white, who are not acting in the way that like white uh, younger um, people act on spring break. Right. And it's like, OK, it's. I guess it's okay to feel uncomfortable in certain circumstances, but this is is driven by an uncomfortableness around people of of other races, um, and that's why she gets off right. And so I think that does tie into kind of the themes of race in this film, uh, and and I think the question of Cadi is maybe a little more, um, a little vaguer, uh, maybe not as fleshed out even. Uh, although I think Faith's character is maybe the least fleshed out of the three, uh, but I think that is is what my answer for Faith would be. Okay, so I know that Harry had thoughts around the scenes, um, excuse me, the one pivotal scene where with uh, Rachel Corinne, um, sort of pre her being shot, but she's, you know, whether it's the sexual liberation or the sexual object, object, excuse me, objectification. Did you call that an important scene for her character, Harry? Did I, did I hear you right through the mic? I said it was not unnecessary. Um, I think that, that okay. like communicating their sort of like... Um, growth or like expression of selves in those, those clearly exploitative and um, like shocking sexual uh, terms is, is important. I think that like, she is a character who is, who is, um, who wants to explore her sexuality, who wants to be perceived as sexual, who wants to be perceived as sexy. Right. And she wants to be in control of those things. Um, I don't disagree with Aaron that I think she's less fleshed out in her reasons for leaving um, compared to faith, but I, it is important that she was the character who was shot. Right. And she continues to look at her body after she was shot and like examine the wound that it created. Mm -hmm. And so like that might've been, symbolic of how she is afraid of letting her body and therefore her agency in that way be destroyed where she wants to retain this sort of like control of her sexuality. She does not want it uh, weaponized in the name of something else. Whereas the, the other two characters who stay there are very um, willing to weaponize their sexuality in the names, in the name of what they want uh, and in the name of this sort of cause that they have. She seems like more the end point for her was that expression Right. It was like, I want to be, I want to be the master of this, uh, not to use another loaded sort of 
um, terminology, but whereas the other characters are like, we want to use this in service of ourselves or in service of this thing we're doing, right? Um, so I think that there, there is an interesting suggestion there. Although, like I said, I don't know, um, if, if I have a lot more, if I found a lot more, uh, in, in that. No, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot about it just to clarify, because I think that's what I came away with, uh, as well for her character is that, you know, trying to map again, like I said, at the top of this episode, it's very hard to map what I'm looking for in movies or how I discuss movies generally, how they, how they go through my brain to this movie. And when I do that, I come up with faith is there to find herself. She's not feeling like fully actualized through her religion. She's not really feeling the uh, community she's part of anymore. And Kadi is, you know, sincerely there to have a good time and to whatever, you know, liberate herself. Um, and through, and then, you know, the, of course the wild cards, the, the Harley Quinns of the scenario are Brit and candy, um, who end up seeing it through, like I said, almost to the end of the line. Um, but, uh, I want to Cody, I, I don't want to put you on the spot either, but, um, did you have any thoughts around, you know, the motivations of these uh, four characters and how the two of them are able to like get away, not completely unscathed, but exit the plot without um, way too much, you know, who hurrah before, before the remaining two um, duke it out. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think of it, it's bits and pieces from a few different like conclusions that I've sort of drawn for myself. I think in some ways it's appropriate to see these. I mean, I'm glad that they're all fleshed out like in their own ways, but it, on some level, we're talking about the sort of point the pointed things this movie does. It almost it makes sense that they're like nameless and or without personality from the outside. Like I think that's I don't know, like an interesting way to to frame that, or rather, like we maybe even know them less and spend less and less time with them the more they descend more towards somebody like Alien and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I dropped the word like souls up top and I don't know, maybe that's just like a lazy catch all for like trajectories in movies, but just, yeah, I mean the, I like, it's not so much like a, a happy ending necessarily that, um, that candy and Brit, um, do what they do. I mean, quite the opposite, right. Despite maybe how the, the movie, I mean, I think the movie kind of point pointedly paints it in a, a like a satirical sort of it's not victorious but it is like it's that slow-mo uh skrillexy like dubstep um like all that sort all those sort of flourishes and this is just well it's kind of matter of fact this is who they are now these are the the people they've become it's not it's not a, a happy thing it's not it's not a great it's not a a a great path to take but this is this is just where everybody who did want to get off the off ramp was able to get off everybody who stayed on became these new things now and this is just hey that's spring break bitches uh yeah i really like the ending maybe this is a good time to talk about it it's that's the part of the movie that reminded me most of blue velvet so i if i'm talking out my ass you guys can call me out but like I I interpreted their phone calls that that they make to their parents as happening after all of the events of the movie. I don't know if that was off on my part, but I thought that was like a flash forward. Um and that that sets up like maybe the darkest possible conclusion to this, which is to say that like 
even those two characters, Selena or uh, Ashley Benson's character and Vanessa Hudgens' characters, um, they actually are able to sort of return to life. And like that is the ultimate privilege. And it's the privilege that all four of these girls had, right? Is that they can go out and quote unquote find themselves in the darkest possible context by sort of self actualizing into this realization that their truest selves are the people who exist to take and oppress because that is their history and that is their birthright and that is their lineage. And then they can just return to society because with that knowledge, you know, you know what I mean? And like there, there is some very dark sense that sort of like retroactively um, even points the finger at the two characters who left because it's like, even though they realized ultimately that that's where they were going, that's still why they wanted to go in the first place. Right. It's like, it's, there's the sense that like, Oh, uh, like Ashley Benson's character and Vanessa Hudgens character, they are like the most honest characters in these movies. Maybe, uh, Jason. Oh no, I was just going to add like second that, I guess, because I, I really, I hadn't thought about what those two characters get to leave the movie with, you know, when the films, when the credits start rolling, I just sort of think the movie's over, the story is over, but I hadn't really stopped to consider what they then not necessarily do, but like what they have been allowed to do and carry with them as they go presumably about their rather dangerous, uh, really strangely um, misaligned with the world lives. Well, but I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Is that like, and I'm very glad that the movie doesn't do this because I don't think it was right. But like, I think you could put a montage at the end of this movie where those characters come up to are grow up to become a doctor and a lawyer respectively. Right. And never do a wild thing again. And they just carry inside of them this notion that that is who they really are. Right. Yeah. It's quite a thing to think about. Uh, let's see. I think we are coming up on time here. Are there any final, well, I'll give my final thoughts. Um, well, my final thought is that Gucci Mane does not seem to like having sexual relations very much. I don't know what's with that guy, but he seemed to have the least amount of fun when he, he was, was underneath. God, yeah. he's stoned out of his mind. Yeah, It's the funniest line in the whole movie, though, when he's having sex with his girlfriend or whatever, and he says, damn, girl, it's like you're playing piano on my dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I'm, I'm sorry to be crass. but No, it's, know, this, is, movie. this movie is way beyond that. Um, actually, this episode is way beyond that. I, I don't know. He, he just... Like he, he puts in a solid performance. He's intimidating. He's, you know, his character up to that point in the movie, but in that point in the movie, he is very listless, very passionless. Uh, and I found it very funny. Um, anybody else uh, have any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, nothing says peak 2012, like tighten up by the black keys playing at a white person party. And I'm glad, <laughs> wow. I'm glad this movie captured that. Um, I'm getting my own ass as much as anybody else who may be listening, but, um, shout out to, to spring breakers. You, that's you like, really it's, it. it's aged better in, in yes. retrospect, right? Exactly. Uh, I'll say that, uh, uh, this movie does show beyond a uh, shadow of a doubt that scary monsters and nice sprites is a banger. Not only is it a banger, but the instrumental ver- or I guess the whole thing's instrumental, but the, the like weird little trippy, like uh, drugged out version that plays over the climax of the film is also a banger. We just need to accept. Yes. Dubstep is, is it kind of sucks, but that song it's good. I like it. Thumbs up. It's one of the good ones, man. Uh, okay. Well then I think we've got one final segment of the show to head into. Thank you so much, everybody for listening through our deep discussion. Uh, and Harry, I think you need uh, to step up to the plate and help me ring in our final segment. 
Yes, uh, we are rolling with them dope boys. That's the <clears> name <throat> of the segment, right? Yes, uh, I, I it's see. where we it's it's my baking segment of the show. It's dope, <laughs> D-O-U-G-H-P. Uh huh. Rolling you. like rolling dough with yes. them dough boys. Boys. I, I, yes. <laughs> so, uh, the, the final segment is the one that we, of course, like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Well, we completely missed it that time. Do you want to do it again? No, no, no. I'm good with it. We did it live. Beautiful and broken. It's a cold and broken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, thank you, Phyllis. That was painful to listen to. No, uh, thank you, gentlemen, as always, uh, for that uh, that life-changing introduction. Um, today, uh, I, I've got us uh, some Trilibs here. And for those joining the show for the first time, Trilibs is our attempt at kind of recreating the fun family game known worldwide as Mad Libs, where you take a story with some holes in it, you fill those holes with some various parts of speech, and by the end of it, you've got a, a nice little tale that you can share uh, with the folks you're playing with. So what we've got here is a story written somewhat in the same vein as the the movie that we just uh, watched and finished talking about. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the fellas in this randomly chosen order of Jason, Harry, Aaron, and then kind of so on and so forth in a loop to fill in the blanks of this story with some various uh, words, um, you know, vocabulary, parts of speech. And by the end of it, we'll, we'll have a, a, a nice little story that we can spin for you all, hopefully. Um, so starting with Jason, can I please get from you uh, an adjective? risen perfect and harry from you could i please get a number uh 69 yeah nice uh aaron from you could i please get a vacation destination uh oh i'm trying to think of a non-obnoxious answer uh you know There's what no i'll thing. go with um uh greece that is not obnoxious um shout out to the greeks uh jason hey uh a dollar amount from you if you please any dollar <clears> amount <throat> uh any dollar amount uh, double, triple Any digits. Mm-hmm. Anything. It's going to be $69. Okay. I was going to go with 420.69, but that's that's good too. Nope. 420 isn't funny anymore. <laughs> Saying it now. It's not funny. Damn. Wow. A scalding hot take. Hey, um, take it to Twitter, loyal listeners. We want to hear and see you hash that one out. Uh, but before then, um, I'll need Harry to give me the name of a previous Try Love guest. Ooh, uh, given what this trilib is about, I was about to say Charlie Mack, and uh, and then I was I reconsidered. <laughs> um, Nick, Nick Grossman, I think, is the yeah. one. Yeah, oh, the best God. answer for these every time. <laughs> always a always a good go to for the the mystery uh, that is trilibs. Um, Aaron, can I get from you a a type of store or business? Oh, um. How about a um, spice store? What? A, sp- like a, a spice store? Yeah, you know, like Excuse a, a me? Penzies, like a Penzies, you know? They're they're going to rob a spice store in this trilib, so just go with it, okay, folks? Just a, yeah. I mean, it is, in keeping with the sort of colonial narrative, very on the nose. 
Good point. Beep, beep. Uh, Jason, a vehicle, please. Uh, Shelby Cobra. Shelby Cobra. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, Harry, from you, could I please get a musical artist? Riff Raff. <laughs> nice. Uh, Aaron, a, a number, por favor. Two billion. Holy shit. Holy Can shit. Can you think indeed. of a bigger number? You can't. Thank you. I literally cannot. Is one billion bigger than two billion? Um, hash no. it out on, on the Twitter. Wow. It's okay. Not. Oh, wow. You heard yeah. it here first. Solved it for uh, it. Huh. Well, thank you for that. Jason, uh, a beverage? Water. Very nice. Uh, Harry. Okay. Now the, the, these are they're going to get a little interesting. Perhaps Harry, could I please get from you the name of a tri love host? Jason Daphnis. <gasps> oh boy. You will regret that. Maybe you won't. We'll see. Uh, Aaron, uh, could I get from you the, the name of a type of drug? Uh, Molly. No, not your nice. favorite Ringwald. Oh yeah, that's yeah. We, uh, I have no follow up. That was a good one. Um, shout out to Molly Ringwald. Come on the pod. Uh, who are we at now? J. I think back to Jason. Can I get from you the name of a different Trilove host? Oh God, uh, Cody Narvison. Uh oh. Um, oh no! Have I damned him? We will see. Harry, a, a number from you, please. I like the accountant. You know, I gotta, I gotta go back to uh, four twenty, which I still think is hilarious. No, uh, almost as funny as sixty nine. Can versus- I get this? Can I get this stricken from the record? It's not funny anymore. It's just not funny. We need to go back. A different number, Harry, please. Uh, I already etched it in concrete. There is nothing I can do, unfortunately. F7U12. Hey, did you guys ever read Molly Ringwald's op-ed about uh, the John Hughes movies? Yes. Yes. Man, that was... Everybody should read that. Yes. Uh, Can we... I don't know. We can link it in the show notes. Why not? The Spring Breakers episode. Sure. Um, who's up now? I, I think Aaron is up next. Aaron, could I please get from you the name of a different previous Trilove guest? Harry, $20, right? Name your sister as the Trilove guest. No, no, no. Um, uh, mm, uh, Matt Yost. Matt Yost. Perfect. All right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Also excellent. Uh, Jason, back to you. Can I please get... Uh, uh, we're doing a lot of numbers and dollars today. Can I get a dollar amount from you? Two billion and one dollars. <gasps> Wait, he did it. Oh, my God. That's small. That's smaller than two billion. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. I forgot. Fuck. That's um, fair. You must have already etched it in, right? I yeah, it's sorry. It it's long been etched in. <sighs> the concrete forever. All right. Um, well, okay. Maybe. Yeah. Well, never mind. Jokes. Uh, who are we at now? Harry. Uh, I'm losing. Man, I'm getting faded on spring break over here. Harry, can I get from you the name of an actor? 
Timothée Chalamet. Timothée Chalamet, the golden baby of Hollywood. Um, he's about our age. Aaron, um, the name of a trial of host who has not been mentioned yet. Uh, so you've been mentioned and you know, Aaron, Aaron Grossman. How about that? Wow. 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 Spicy. Wow. Uh, we're getting near the end here. Just forewarning. Uh, Jason, a type of weapon, please. A type of what? Uh, weapon. I apologize. Um, Words. Ah, the mightiest weapon of all, or at least mightier than a sword. Uh, I would have gone with nunchucks personally, but that is a, that also a mighty weapon. Shout out to words. Stop hurting me. Um, do, 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 do. I believe we are back to Harry again. Harry, can I get the name of a trial of host that has not already been mentioned in the three other times we asked for this? Harry Mackin. Nice. Kind of a layup, but hey, you sunk it. Um, final couple here. Home stretch, baby. Uh, Aaron, I need a name of a movie, buddy. Uh, Scarface. Best movie. Ooh. Got it on repeat. That's right. Uh, and Jason, last but not least, I need an adjective from you. Light. Light. <laughs> all righty. I'm doing a quick scan. I believe we've got these all filled out so without further ado fellas <clears throat> i bring you trilibs spring break after a risen year in which they released 69 episodes the trilove gang decided to take a spring break trip to greece the vacation almost didn't happen as their patreon was only generating 69 dollars in monthly revenue Wishful thinking, but thank. Whoops, excuse me. But thankfully, they received a generous last-minute gift from Nick Grossman, and they also robbed a few spice stores for good measure. They took a Shelby Cobra down to their destination, and the party started as soon as they showed up. First, they attended uh, a riffraff concert on the beach. Later that night, the fellas cleaned out two billion kegs of water. Jason Daphnis passed out early, and so he was the victim uh, of a ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, Harry, give me a noun. This is one I missed. Give me a noun. Oh, give, me a noun. Uh, give me a noun. What? Zebra. Perfect. Perfect. Could not have picked a better one myself. Uh, Jason Daphnis was the victim of a zebra being drawn in Sharpie on his face because he passed out early. The classic party oh. maneuver. Uh, it'll come off in a couple weeks. The next day... Our heroes got into some trouble with the local police as they were caught with possession of some molly that Cody Narvison had procured. Thankfully, instead of serving 420 days in prison, the fellas were rescued by Matt Yost, who paid their bail in the amount of $2 billion and $1. In return, Matt Yost asked for a favor. The fellas would need to help overthrow the local crime lord, Timothy Chalamet. Matt Yost allowed the trial of gang to pick from a multitude of weapons. Aaron Grossman picked words. Together, they all snuck into the crime lord's mansion and defeated Timothy Chalamet with Harry Mackin landing the final punishing blow, like in a video game. I, oh, I always one. wanted to. 
Yeah. Needing a cooldown, the Trial of Cohort retreated to their local, uh, excuse me, to their hotel, maybe it was local, and watched Scarface. After such a light start to their trip, the fellas were looking forward to whatever would happen next. The end. Woo! Thank you, Cody. Hey, let's actually do that, fellas. That sounds great. That sounds like a trip I want to go on. I realize any of the lessons of this episode, but I'm very interested in that. You want to go on a, a trip to Europe and kill Timothy Chalamet? Yeah. With the fellas? Oh, with the fellas. <laughs> with the fellas. All right. Well, this, thank you, Cody, so much for, uh, again, making our show even more fun than it already is uh, with each new edition of Cody's Noties. This has been our episode about Spring Breakers. It's playing at the trial on, uh, or maybe was. I am all gunked up on my actual oh, recording and release schedule. I think it will be. By the time that this episode comes out next oh, week, no, it, it has been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, we're recording before our, our previous episode came out. Whoa, it's a time warp. Uh, let's do the time warp again. Um, but you can find it where, wherever the hell. Uh, maybe just buy tickets. Um, just because it looks like a movie that you want to see. Uh, in the meantime, uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find our podcast, Try Love, at Try Love Podcast. You can find the trial on at Trial on Cinema and at trialon.org. Um, I'm going to ask everybody before they sign off, uh, well, with their sign off, give me the, your best uh, spring break whisper into the mic. Uh, so my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus and uh, spring break. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on spring break or on twitter at cody underscore bh i don't like how i said that but i'm not going to redo it say levy <laughs> uh i've been harry Mackin. you can find me on twitter or you can find me just alongside cody on spring break uh, and i'm aaron you can find me on twitter at rb please and my spring break is uh <clears throat> spring break Aaron took that. Holy shit. Yeah, he got yeah, it. I definitely did. Seen well, the movie the most times. I yeah. could I could smell what you ate for breakfast. That was very forceful. <laughs> very good. What, what was that, Cody? Oh, that's people for like you. Aunt. It was people like <laughs> you. <laughs> got him. Um <clears throat> oh yeah. Hi grandma. Having so much fun here. This place is special. I'm starting to think this is the most spiritual place I've ever been. I think we found ourselves here. We finally got to see some other parts of the world. We saw some beautiful things here. God, I can't believe how many new friends we made. Friends from all over the place. I mean, everyone was so sweet here. So warm and friendly. That's way more than just having a good time. God, it's so nice to get a break from reality for a little while will always remember this trip. I want to come back again next year with you. Something so amazing, magical, something so beautiful. Feels as if the world is perfect. Like it's never going to end. Oh, my God.